I'm recommending to patients that in a majority of cases that they should wait really three months at least. And, you know, they can consider their options that way. They can see how their knee's performing. I think for me in a very simplistic sense, it boils down to signs and symptoms. When do we go conservative and when do we go surgical for ACL management? And what is this new research about ACLs healing? Well, today we had Kieran Richardson on. He's a specialist musculoskeletal physio in Australia. He also runs a global specialist physio consultancy service and has a workshop on ACL tears and their management. We covered the big question, conservative or surgical, and how to make that decision. And we also discussed the new research about ACLs healing and what are the implications of that and does it even matter? Lots of pearls in this one for you. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Kieran. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, it's nice to be speaking with you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're covering a lot of ACL stuff. So we're going to get your view on the round, the rounded evidence right now about where we're at with ACLs. So conservative versus surgical management. So where are you at personally and what does the evidence currently say about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a a very good and big question. I'll try my best to answer it succinctly. Uh, Look, if listeners want a really nice summary, uh, some surgical elective studies compared to non-surgical, they can check out an open access paper by Blom from this year, 2021, that looks at ACL reconstruction, meniscus repair, meniscectomy. And it's written actually by research surgeons. And it's very, very favorable for physio because what we're finding is that in in all these areas, the best studies are actually showing very similar outcomes if you have surgery versus just doing a rehabilitation program alone. Specifically for ACL, we now have two randomized control trials. The, the very famous Canon study, which is the, the longest and, and best quality study we have in reconstruction compared to exercise therapy alone. And I was fortunate enough actually to meet the lead authors in Sweden, Richard Frobel and Stefan Lomander. And that, that's really changed my views on this topic. And so both of those, that study, the Canon study and the COMPARE trial, they now show that basically 50% of patients don't need ACL surgery. And the ones that do have surgery in those trials don't seem to have significantly better outcomes than the ones that just stick with with physio. So we're kind of left with this quandary now where we have this meta system that's been set up essentially in, in, in countries like Australia the US, you know, Canada, where, where surgery is, is, is funded and the funnel goes towards that, whereas we don't necessarily get the same funding for physiotherapy and exercise alone. And so it's almost this post-evidence era that we're living in now, that post hoc, we're trying to prove that these surgeries work uh, compared to more simple, cheaper, easy to roll out methods. And so I think it's a fantastic time for physiotherapists, clinicians, you know, sports doctors, and even surgeons. And I, I actually had dinner with a surgeon a few few weeks ago. And, and I'm finding that there's actually more and more that are open to these conversations. And it's, it's, I think it's great that we can present a balanced view to patients and, um, you know, see, see outcomes with patients that are successful, whether they have surgery or not. Yeah. How are you making that decision clinically? Because obviously some people still do need surgery. 
and some don't. Are you are you leaning one way, like going all non-surgical? Or are you making a decision at week four or eight? Or is it something that you're seeing in the clinic? That's a very, again, a really great question. And I think, I don't think we should be rushing the surgery is probably a key point. Mm. And, you know, there is this, this kind of cultural trend and you see it in, you know, the media world where the, the athletes injured their knee and, you know, the scans confirm they need, they need surgery and they have it within a matter of days. And so I think that definitely needs to shift. You know, I, I'm, I'm recommending to patients that in a majority of cases that they should wait really three months at least. And, you know, they can consider their options that way. They can see how their knee's performing. I think for me in a very simplistic sense, it boils down to signs and symptoms. So if someone's got recurrent instability despite really high-level exercise program, you know, day-to-day, and, you know, particularly if they then want to go and return to sport, they're probably the sort of people that should consider a reconstruction or becoming an adapter, so, you know, avoiding those kind of pivoting-type sports. Or if someone gets a stuck knee where the knee gets locked, we call it um, in research, it's jackknife phenomenon, where the knee basically gets stuck and then it like, you know, might take 10, 15 seconds or a few minutes to straighten. That They, they may have an obstructive lesion in the knee that needs, you know, needs surgery. So I think if you go back and listen to one of the original podcasts from the Canon study and you had the two surgeons and the two physios researchers talking, that was their their kind of summary. I think it was Iwa Ruse, in fact, that said that. She said, look, it should just boil back to signs and symptoms. For physios, that makes complete sense. You know, we don't typically use a diagnosis and management by image model. We, we go on patient signs, symptoms, function, how they respond to our rehabilitation and treatment. That's a bit different, I, I think, from when it comes to the surgical training. Is there still that copers and non-copers or, or are we giving non-copers longer? That was a question that kind of popped into my head. Yeah, I think, I think the copers versus non-copers literature is just too simplistic. Mm. There's just so many variables. There's mm. just, you know, a, a, you know, as you said, timeframes is huge. And there's a few papers that show that if you actually give non-copers, quote unquote, long enough, up to a year, they eventually become a coper. Mm. In fact, the majority. So, you know, I say three months, but I would be looking, I would be looking on average three to six months. And then you can really tell whether someone's going to be a candidate for non-surgical or not. And then they can think through their options. And, you know, I'm yet to have a patient regret doing that. And I've overseen thousands now. And it's, it's, I think the key message is that patients do have options and it's not like, you have to rush out and the first person you see, you, you know, you go with that option. And I heard someone say on a podcast the other day, it's, you know, when we're going to buy a house or if we're going to make a massive investment, we'd ask a bazillion questions. You know, we would make sure we have all our ducks in a row. Whereas for some reason, when it comes to our bodies, we're not necessarily quite the same. So, yeah, that, that's, that's part of how I think about it. I was going to go deeper on outcomes. The, the thing I remember the research was starting to skew towards was the level of sport that you returned to. Are you seeing a difference between surgical and conservative as far as the level of sport? Because that might be one thing that helps you make the decision. There would be, you know, I guess a common misconception that you need ACL reconstruction to return to sport. Mm. That would certainly not be true from a research from a research standpoint. You know, there's no 
group level studies that show comparing surgical to non-surgical that you need surgery to return to pivoting sport. Um, You know, obviously we don't want to get an athlete and just throw them back on the pitch or or field um, or court to, you know, with an unstable functional knee. We want them to have stabilized their knee, whether it be with surgery or with a rehab program. And so looking at the best studies, the return to sport rates are very similar. And I think a lot of it is, is fostered by the elites yeah. It's an unconscious decision for surgery. It just mm. kind of happens. And, um, you know, speaking to some of the researchers, what they've said to me is, look, if a couple of them have a healed ACL on scan, it's confirmed, they, they come out and talk about it, they'll probably all do it. They'll probably yeah. all start doing it. And then hopefully it'll shift the elites to a bit, to a bit more of the middle. But at the moment, it, it almost couldn't be more any more extreme at this stage but i think it is shifting and it's nice to have you know as i said people within the surgical community talking about acl's healing and talking about you know giving patients an an option and that's that's been nice to see and hear yeah so so take me to that because i've seen a few posts recently from yourself we're learning that acls are healing you posted a beautiful image of a healed acl yeah. Uh, do we have the studies there and, and what are you learning about it? And I was going to ask, how well are they healing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this is like a massive, it's a massive topic and um, it is definitely emerging. We don't have very high quality studies to say that it definitively can. There is mm-hmm. certainly studies that show it can. Yeah. There is no high, equally, there's no high quality studies that say in humans that it can't. So if you go back to the kind of 1960s where these these this thought emerged was actually in animal models with you know kind of rabbits and dogs and the principles that we're considering are that if someone tears their ACL you put them in some sort of brace or you start them in a strengthening program compared to not doing it and that that needs to be done in a in a controlled way and it is being done in Australia, there's some studies that are going to come out. Maybe they'll crash the internet. We'll see. You know, they are showing that the ACL certainly heals. Yeah. And what have I seen? Uh, I have seen that. And and I've, you know, I didn't I didn't used to get repeat MRIs. I would just go on signs and symptoms. But for, for I guess you know more potential at at risk cohorts, pediatric under 18 or or between 18 to 35, young adult ish that are wanting to return to pivoting, you know, I would be more more open to considering whether it's healed or not. And, and I've lost count how many I've seen now. And, and all sorts of healing. So you do get normal anatomical where it kind of heals looking erect like it would not injured. Uh, I've seen some heal loose where it yeah. kind of sags in the middle, but they still have an endpoint. I've seen it attached to the PCL. You know, I've seen some where it's a confirmed full thickness and then you do a repeat scan, it's partial. And then I've seen it not heal where it's completely retracted. And so, you know, these patients could become copers or non, you know, copers or non-copers, like we were saying before, if we're going to use those terms. But I think that is quite fantastic. And there, there are, you know, more and more studies that are showing it's certainly more sorry than zero. So the, the idea was that it would never heal. And I, you definitely, we definitely can't say that. Mm. And I think it's wrong to say that they all heal. But we, I, I certainly think we need to tell patients that it can. I was just wondering if it if it matters even in the people where it where it heals does that actually re-add stability or is it actually just the effect of the strengthening and the directional work they've done and then and then I went to a place of 
could it be worse if it heals because they could tear it again? Whereas if you have the instability, you just kind of get that weird feeling where it goes out and in in your back. Have you experienced any of that? That would all be very anecdotal. Yeah, it's and it's a great, it's a really, really good question. And I look, I honestly don't know the answer to that. And I think, I think all of it could be true that you have patients where I think it's better to not tear your ACL like in the first place. So that would, I'd say that. And, you know, because it is a true trauma to the knee. And I think there are the, the probably the loudest voice in the room should be those advocating for prevention because there's, there's very, very high quality research that shows that at least half of the ACL tears don't even need to happen in the first place. And that is empirically proven. And so there should be more focus and funding towards that. And so, you know, I think it's important that you don't tear it. I think in some very high level athletes, it's probably important to have an ACL, but then there are some athletes we know from case studies where it's that they haven't needed one. They've been able to compete at the elite level. So I think it's, it's a whole, it's a whole spectrum, man. Yeah. Yeah. The the last thing I was going to touch on was the outcome either way of inflammation, swelling, and further damage to the knee. I think I was reflecting to you, Karen, that I'd had two ACLs done 15 and 17 years ago, left knee and right knee. And at that time, I remember reading the research that people were getting swelling and inflammation around the knee, and it would lead to early OA eight to 10 years down the track. That's something I remember reading. Is there something about that in the literature conservative versus surgical? There was a recent umbrella review that looked, it was from this year, Hewitt and Webster, and that showed that certainly you have more away after the injury, but arguably you actually have more away from the surgery. And this is where we need to be asking these questions and talking about it in an open forum, an open debate, because the surgical technique in itself is a second trauma to the knee. And so we, we have to consider that that could be contributing to inflammation and OA, softening the cartilage, creating microfractures, et cetera. And there are studies that are suggesting that. Certainly extrapolated studies from the Canons showed that. And I guess we have to weigh that up versus the passive stability that the surgery provides. Uh, so I think it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. Physios also need to admit defeat when it's not working. But likewise, if we're seeing cases of healed ACLs occurring more and more, you know, the surgical fraternity have to be honest about that. And, I've, and there's papers where they're, they're saying that. And so I think it's, it's good to have these, these discussions, and I think it can be collaborative. Kieran, that's a wonderful wrap of conservative and surgical management, as well as some of the new stuff around ACL healing. Where would you like people to go to find out more about this and, and yourself? Yeah, look, so if you want my professional content, you can follow me personally on LinkedIn. If you want meme content, then you can follow me on Instagram, um, global underscore specialist underscore physio. And if you want to go to my website, globalspecialistphysio.com forward slash ACL, I've got online courses and training for clinicians and uh, for patients as well. Yeah, I really think it's it's super exciting and, uh, you know, I really want to encourage people to get around the research and share it and, and you know, share this podcast and, and have discussions and even debate about it. Thank you so much for your time today, Kieran. Yeah, it was great to chat to you, Mick.